on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I am your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry, and uh, we pray that we'll do uh, it justice. We announced last week uh, that next, this coming February, actually 2015, we're planning to hold a conference here in Salt Lake City We're calling it Sunday's Best, and the purpose is to have the very best from, uh, well, take a look. So this is the idea we are going to have uh, any faith that claims the blood of Christ as the source of salvation. And presently, this includes Calvinists, Arminianists, Catholics, Mormons, open theists, reconciliationists, and Bible Baptists. Uh, Invitations have been extended to many of the best representatives of these particular faith stances. Uh, And more are coming, but if you know somebody who is really adept at explaining Calvinism, please let them know that we are looking for the very best to represent Calvinism, Arminianism, Mormonism, whatever it may be. Uh, Have them uh, write me at sean at aletheamedia.com or call us at that 888 number. Now, here's the deal. The vast majority of the entire world has turned on me. Uh, Seriously, they've defriended me. And uh, the LDS, of course, have always had issue with me, but now many Christian denoms have turned as well. And as a result, the ministry and my person have kind of been castigated by people who once called me brother, minimally deeming me now heterodox and maximally, maximally uh, assuring each other and God that I am an apostate. But whatever, we're gonna continue to pursue the path of truth as long as God permits but we need your help to get people because there's kind of a black ball on interacting with me now. 
And uh, so we need to get your help to get people to engage and be part of this. And there's a number of reasons why. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna contact the very best. And if the very best turn us down, we're gonna go to the next level of articulators of these faiths, and then the next level and the next level. So for example, in Calvinism, we've sent invitations out to R.C. Sproul. If R.C. Sproul declines, then we'll go to John MacArthur. If John MacArthur declines, then we'll go to James White. If James White declines, then we'll go to the local Calvinist pastors. If the local Calvinist pastors decline, we're gonna to go to their congregants. If their congregants decline, we're gonna get a guy who can just say Calvin. <laughs> but in the end, Calvinism will be represented and it's gonna be Calvinist's fault if they don't bring to the table somebody to, who can really express their position. They always claim, everybody claims, Arminius claim, reconciliationists, Mormons, open theists, Catholics. We're not, you didn't represent us right. So we're giving everybody the chance to have somebody step up to the plate. We'll pay for their travel, their housing, and we'll pay a, a, an honorarium for them to, to, to speak and we're gonna record this thing and give it out in DVDs for people to sit down and to say, okay, let's hear what this guy says about this. And then you can assess from the source of what's going on. Now, Professor Bob Millett, uh, professor of ancient studies, he's retired now from BYU, he's agreed to come and do it. So uh, that would say to me, if you care about the Mormon Christian debate and you wanna make sure that your views are properly uh, represented, then step up and participate in this. That's it. You may not like me, or you may not believe, or you may think that I'm heretical or whatever, but you know, this conference, we're going to do it. Uh, whoever we have to stick up here to do it, and we hope that you'll participate. Okay? Hey, I received this email last week, and this is what it says from Evan Cra, Evan C, I'll say. He says, uh, Please let me say, for the record, I think the music that Mallory McCraney has made using biblical scriptures is untouchable genius. My wife and I are, and our young children love the music that Mallory has created. We've been listening to the music nonstop as soon as the CDs came out. Please understand, I absolutely love the music she has produced and keep hoping for more. Who knows, I might actually be her number one fan in music in his words. Please relay the message to Sean that when he speaks about Mallory's music on the air to be more enthusiastic about the beauty and soul-filling effect it has. Every time I get in the car and listen to it, all of her CDs, I am personally filled with the Holy Spirit because it is the Word of God and provides a moment in the chaos of my life and situations to have the Spirit of God. Christ Jesus fills my soul. And he goes on and says he's claiming himself as a number one fan, et cetera, et cetera. Well, first of all, uh, we really wanna thank you, Evan, for the email. This was unsolicited. It came from out of the blue. And second, I agree with you completely on, on Mallory's music. Um, we come from a, a family of music lovers, like most families, many families love music. We have a long history in all sorts of music. I hesitate to push it too hard for a couple reasons. One, I don't like sales pitches. And two, it's my daughter. And I don't want people to think, oh, you're using the platform. I believe that the stuff has merit. I believe it has great merit in, in, in uh, Christian music simply because it's the Word of God and it gets in your head and it's it's and that's not easy to put all those words into your head because it's you know they don't rhyme and things like that so I, I completely support uh, her and her music I think it's uh, uh, great 
tool to teach kids, to bring the spirit, to know the word of God, and the music is fantastic. Take a look. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, You can order those uh, by going to www.hotm.tv for the four CD series. I think it's about 56 uh, songs for your listening enjoyment. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Last week we received an email from a young man, or not an email, last week we received a call from a young man to the show and he was asking about using the proper name of Jesus. Uh, his concern was in light of passages like this. Uh, for instance, Acts 2:21 says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 4:12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Even uh, Romans 10, 13 says, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So his concern was that if his actual name is so vital to salvation as these uh, passages sort of uh, suggest, shouldn't we be using his real name? And, and he was saying, you should be using his real name and suggesting, isn't this a concern or questioning that? So isn't Jesus his real name? Not even close. Now, this concern sort of dovetails in with another criticism we received uh, last week, which we shared, that I was preaching false doctrine in an interview that I did with John Delenn and on Mormon stories and how I said that I believe that people can be saved without even knowing the name of Jesus Christ. 
Well, that sent flags up among people who are like, you have to say his name in order to be saved. So what are we to make of all this? Is the actual given name of Jesus required to be saved or is a representative name sufficient? Should Christians do all they can to truly speak and call upon the name of the Lord using his authentic given name? Or is Jesus okay? Or is Lord okay? Or even God? First, let's examine his name really quickly. Uh, uh, Yeshua, and that's probably a bad pronunciation. Joshua, by English-speaking people, is his given name. Yeshua is like another way to say it. And being that I'm not Hebrew and nor do I speak Hebrew at all, I am probably mispronouncing his actual given name in the first place. So, but it is Joshua transliterated into English, Yeshua. Then the New Testament, which was primarily written in Greek and translated into Greek, uses the name for Yeshua of Jesus. Okay, so we have Yeshua and in the New Testament, Jesus' given name, Yeshua, is translated into Jesus. And from that, we get um, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and that's how we got the name Jesus, okay? So, which, if you're from the South, you will all, in all likelihood say, Jesus. And if you are from south of the border, you'll say, Jesus. And so, names are tricky, aren't they? When we start getting into these uh, these areas where we want to divide up and say, no, 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 it's got to be like this. And especially if the names have to be pronounced perfectly for salvation. So what do these passages in Acts and Romans and other places suggest? Uh, to the Jews, the phrase, in the name of the Lord, is the same thing as saying the Lord himself. It's the name of the Lord means the person. I do this in the name of Sean McCraney means I do it for Sean McCraney. It's not the name Sean McCraney, it's the person Sean McCraney. For instance, in Psalm 79, 6 we read, pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known me and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. Okay, now they, we know this couldn't mean a literal name because the Jews didn't even know his literal name. You know, we had the Tetragrammaton and we have, you have, we have the, the four consonants and maybe they're just talking about calling upon God in the true sense. Zechariah 13, 9, the Lord says, and I will bring a third part through the fire and I will refine them as silver is refined and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them, I will say it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Is that his name, the Lord is my God? Adonai, or, or what Lord is translated into, that name? It, it's a Hebraism to say in the name. Same argument there. So additionally, I think we can say that to call on the true name of the Lord is an expression that describes calling on God with the humble heart and with a, a contrite spirit reaching out to the true and living God authentically is far, far, far more important than perfect articulation of his true given name. I would suggest that the latter is religion and it misses the point. Um, it was in the spirit of this argument that I said what I said on Dellen's uh, program. It's not that they won't come to a realization of his actual name as they study the Bible. It's not that people won't 
all, all know that Jesus is Lord, that Yahshua is, saves us and he is Lord and King uh, through a burgeoning life of following him. But in the end and in the human realm, God has given us a savior. The angel told his mother that his name shall be Yeshua. If you're reading the Hebrew, Iesus. If you're reading the Greek or if you're Greek, uh, Jesus, if you're an American, but simply God from a humble heart. So I hope that helps. I, I believe the name is great if you know it, uh, but I don't think we need to be dogmatic on that whatsoever. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we thank you. And we pray for your spirit to touch us, the spirit of truth, to help us in our walk. We thank you for those who volunteer and help in the ministry, who support us financially, they know who they are, to support us through prayer and volunteerism and sharing uh, the program with and ministry and church with other people. We praise you, we seek you to be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I received an email, it says, always remember, this is from uh, Matt, um, it says, always remember, Christians are just like Mormons in the fact that they do not want to look in the mirror when it messes with their comfort and pleasure. Brother, keep holding up that mirror as long as you do. Uh, you will call Mormons and Christians alike to the truth. And he goes on and talks about that. That's going to launch us into what we're going to talk about tonight. Last week, we entered into a new topic in our attempt to level the playing field between the Mormon and Christian debate. And we introduced it to you, the Bible. And we showed the utter disrespect that Mormonism as a whole has traditionally shown and had for the Bible, even though they, they respect it enough to call it part of their canon. We gave you all the reasons and all the quotes of how they have disrespected the Bible and uh, then sort of replaced it with their own uh, prophecies and their own uh, books of scripture and their own living prophets. Uh, we Christians have done an awful lot of criticizing in, of the LDS for their extra-biblical teachings. We criticize them for the Book of Mormon, you know, it's added to the Bible, for uh, their, their different words that they use that are not biblical. If you watch any blog or any chat room or disgrace book discussion, invariably Christian apologists will attack a Mormon saying, we follow the Bible, you don't follow the Bible and we stand on the Bible, the Bible is our guide, and you don't follow the Bible. And rightfully so, as we pointed out last week, the LDS have and, uh, kind of besmirched the Bible, and they have listened to men. And of course, it all started with Smith and the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price, which has been the subject of recent changes, which we're gonna talk about later if we have time. But what about Christianity? Let's hold that mirror up that Matt suggested, shall we, tonight, and see if hey, do Christians also reach out beyond the Bible, beyond the biblical pale, and, and use things that are not written in the Bible, that are not suggested by God for us to have in the Bible? Or it's just, just the LDS who are guilty of it, and, and the Christian uh, church worldwide uh, stands uh, true. When Christians, generally speaking, when Christians say, we follow the Bible, only the Bible and not men, it's bull shiitake mushrooms. Uh, bottom line, absolutely. 
If we are gonna clear the playing field on the subject, we have to lay out what, in my opinion, needs to be discussed and then potentially trashed. Yeah, I said trash from the Christian side. Now listen, don't let tonight cause you to throw in the towel. This, there is a method to our madness and next week, we're gonna hopefully provide what I think the solution is. But before the healing can begin, we have to cut out the cancer. Okay, there's cancer, and if we're looking at the LDS and saying extra biblical, extra biblical, made of men, man-made, then we need to look at our own house, all right? And so let's do the same thing right now, and the procedure's gonna be painful. So let's begin with the basic Christian claims out there. Most Christians agree, Christian churches, that the Bible is the word of God, that it is reliable, that Christians ought to frequently reference it for guidance and direction, right? For example, I completely accept and love 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, which says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that a man of God might be perfect through thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we agree that the Bible should be used and it is our, our manual. Secondly, most Christians agree that to truly understand the Bible, we need to read it in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. The words of black and white ink alone won't do it. The Holy Spirit without the Bible doesn't always do it. If we have two, the two witnesses, they work hand in hand in helping us understand truth. So I personally agree with the following verses as they uh, articulate this point. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolish to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8, 5, 6 adds, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Okay? You gotta be in the spirit. But they that are after the things of the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So from those we know, and we have the belief first, that the Bible is necessary as we study it and read it and gain our spiritual lessons from it. The second thing we know is that we have to have the Holy Spirit with us and the Bible has to be understood through that. Hopefully you agree with me so far. Finally, we have to add in that as true Christians, we do not trust the teachings of man in our biblically-based walk. But instead, that's right, we read the Word in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, and we in, which individually leads us in our subjective relationship to the living God. Isn't that what Christians do? It's what they should do, it's what they ought to do, but it's hardly what has been done historistic, uh, historically or now. Well, what do you mean by that, Mr. McCraney? I don't like the tone. Well, I mean that ignoring the principles of Christian liberty where God has written on our minds and on our hearts his law, that we have the Holy Spirit with us and we have the Bible in front of us, Christianity has done the marvelous job at inserting its own man-made stuff into the faith that Christ and the apostles and others have given their life for. How's this approach turned out? Well, let's see. Bible-believing people around the world are now found in 33,000 Christian denominations. 33,000 around the world, okay? What determines a denomination? What determines a denomination? Tell me, what? That's right, the teachings, the perspectives of men and women who have a take, 
on how the Bible needs to be understood. All right? And, uh, and, and they use the Bible, uh, or they abuse the Bible, or they refuse the Bible in one way or another, but they all sort of say we do believe the Bible, but we have 33,000 denominations. And now we're gonna say, well, we all get along. Really? We really get along? It's really quite hilarious when we let ourselves think about it. Let me appeal to a secular example to illustrate my point. Whenever there's an industry where there's some, somebody who has talent, the rules of the game and the, how it works out always plays out this way. We could be talking about an artist, an athlete, a writer, a philosopher, an actor, a savior of the world. But in the end, everything becomes institutionalized because of what men do with it. So let's say there's a little girl who can sing like no other. She's 13 years of age. In time, people wanna hear her sing in front of the audience. So she goes before audiences and she sings. Well, in the audience will typically be somebody who says, I can manage that talent. Let me come in and be your manager. And so the little girl hires a manager and the manager begins to represent her. And then along come others who wanna promote her and others come along who want to market her and others want to come along and protect her and others want to come and arrange for her travel and build her empire and 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 in time she has an entourage and she has an empire and it's a, a list of uh, friends and the payroll grows then there are all those who come later who want to imitate her and then there's soon there's people who want to prove upon what she started and then they want to destroy her and they want to hate her and they want to mock her and they want to take her over and they want to assassinate her in public opinion. And it's a proverbial story in whatever men do. It's the nature of man. Here's the gig. Denominations are a perfect illustration of uh, this original thing that was started by Jesus. They're a perfect illustration of that. From him and his original message, men have come in and they've tried to capitalize, they've tried to manage, they've tried to market, they've tried to do everything they can with his original message, which is found in that Bible, which should just be read by people and they're allowed to view it and understand it by the Holy Spirit as they seek the Lord. Yes, it can be taught and yes, we try to discuss, but what, what's the deal with all the infighting and the denominationalism? So not only do we have different denominations that claim his name, they all employ doctrinal mandates that follow right in behind to make sure that they own a piece of the original singer, that they own a piece of Jesus and they are representing him in the proper, proper way. Since there's no central authority in Christianity, though everyone from Benny Hinn to Creflo Dollar to uh, uh, Jim Jones claim Jesus as their uh, authority, every institution is self-governing. Ironically, the institutions self-govern while they force governance upon the individuals. You see? So they, they, they claim there is no central, centralized authority, even though they say Jesus is the one who leads us. They self-govern and then they enforce the governance upon the innocent people who are this there to find Jesus and discover him. Among the 33,000 uh, plus denoms, there are so many different opinions that we have to wonder if these guys are reading the same Bible, you know? I mean, let's hypothetically ask the 33,000 denoms, tell us what you think about the Ten Commandments, okay? Let's hear a response. What, tell us about water baptism. Tell us about speaking in tongues, taking communion. When will Jesus return? Is there a way to dress? 
Can you have a tattoo? Can you drink alcohol? Do we worship Jesus, acapella, piano, full band? Is there a pastor? Can he be questioned? Can he be challenged? Is that proper? Are we supposed to be quiet? What's the nature of God? Is there a trinity? Is there a binity that someone, uh, Richard once mentioned to me earlier? Is there this? Is, how do we see? And all of this stuff comes in from man to tell us how we have to understand the written word that God has given us. Go back with me some 1800 years. We have men and women who have laid claim to a belief that the words of his book have led them to do the things that they have done over the course of history. Look at Northern Ireland and the Protestants and the Catholic, the current and past bloodshed by people who use the Bible and say, this is the text that we follow. But our leaders have told us, read it this way. How about the rabid anti-Semitism that actually exists in the body of Christ today? Christians who hate Jews. It's unbelievable. The world over. How has their anti-Semitism originated from the text that God has written for the Jews? And that with a savior who is a Jew? The Inquisitions, sorry. There are a lot of them. And what was their primary driver? Suppress heresy. That was what they did. We will torture, we will bind, we will kill to suppress heresy. That means things that are not found within the context of this Bible and how we interpret it and how we say it should be written. Makes me wonder if Pope Vincent IV ever had access to a Bible. He's the one who, who offered the papal bull that said, you can torture to get them to conform. Oh, I see. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, you're bringing up stuff that was a long time ago, before the Protestant Reformation, right? Uh-huh. Ever hear about the Puritan witch hunts? 1600s? Why? Why were, there, uh, why were these puritanical things, why did they go on? Doctrinal deviation among the people. No, you have threatened by thinking outside of the way we have established we are gonna hurt you for it. They flogged people, they hung people, they cut off body parts, they bored through their tongues with hot pokers. Why? Because they wanted them not to speak, because they didn't want them to speak their minds about what the Bible says to them between God and them and the Holy Spirit and God writing his law upon their hearts. This is subjective Christianity that we have lost to objectified Christianity, which is composed of these churches that, that make people believe like they, they must believe according to man's edicts. Here's the deal. The spirit is alive and well in this very day and age, this very city, your town, my town, it's alive and well by 1690. The desire for doctrinal purity morphed into, you know, those actual witch hunts. And then by around the time of Luther, the Reformation, Geneva, the command of a man named Calvin, we're talking about doctrinal purity enforced or torture, death, doctrinal purity. Before we move on, well, let's move on. Ku Klux Klan. Oh, that's not fair, Sean. You're just being really wrong here. You might be screaming at me from the TV, you know, good and well-mannered members of the KKK are not Christian, Sean. I, I don't think they are either, but it kind of proves my point. I'm sure many of them love the Bible, read the Bible. They act like they read the Bible. What they do is in the name of the Bible. How do we reconcile this stuff? Tell me. We have the Bible, 33,000 denominations, a trail of blood that bests the slaughterhouse, 
by the name of people who have grabbed the Bible and read it. Did you know that the KKK began as a Protestant movement? I would suggest that the movement in the mindset was not very different than the right-wing, far-right-wing American evangelicals and Aryans I've seen and read about and met up here. In the book, Anti-Semitism from Earliest Times to the Present by Michael Robert and Philip Rosen, we read that the Klansmen believed that Jesus was the first Klansman. Did you know why cross burnings came to be? It was a cross. They were lighting the message of Christ across the country. That's what the burning cross meant. It came from Protestant Bible reading people, influenced by the ideas of man. What were these people reading in their Bibles? What were their pastors teaching them from their Bibles? Certainly they were following men, were they not? But they were following, they were following men no more and no less in the Ku Klux Klan than the Nazarenes and Methodists follow Wesley, than the Reformed churches follow Calvin, than the Lutherans follow Luther, the Presbyterians follow Notch, not Knox, the Baptists follow John Smith, all of them following men, the Mormons following Joseph Smith and how he interpreted the Bible. How about the four square churches? Great churches, what were they, who were they started by? Amy Simple McPherson. Go online and read about Amy Simple McPherson and her history compared to Joseph Smith. We cast, we cast, we criticize, but do we look at our own house? Do we see what we have done in the name of Christ? Doesn't stop with the influence of denominational founders. Uh, The teachings and influence of man upon biblical Christianity today goes much deeper. Deeper. We have an overabiding influence of men and women today we call our scholars. We call our theologians. These men and women have added to the Christian faith man-made terms that God himself didn't think were necessary to put in the Bible. They have added man-made ideas that must be embraced in order for people to be deemed proper parts of the body of Christ, or at least not heretical. Where in the Bible do we read hypostasis, monotheism, incarnation, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient? Let me tell you right now, there's hundreds and hundreds of theological terms that men have created that are embraced and and dialogued over to establish doctrine instead of just the Bible that the common little grandma out in the country reads and believes in Jesus and lives her life that way. What happened to that? Humoousian, huge term, huge term. The hallmark word of orthodoxy. Ever hear it or read about it in the Bible? If not, can you be considered a Christian? If you, can be, if you can be considered a Christian and you don't understand what homoousian means, why do we even have the word homoousian standing as a huge hallmark word of orthodoxy? Why have we allowed men to come in and dictate? It, it, the spirit has not done that. I don't believe it. So do we now have to add to the Bible We have the Bible and we read and trust it. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the theological terms that have to be brought in so we can comprehend what it says. Sheesh. Do you know who the very first man was to use the word Trinity in recorded history? It was not Tertullian. Uh, It was a Gnostic named Valentinius. He was a Gnostic believer. He's the first one to use it. According to the powers that 
uh, uh, were around at that time, the believers then had to embrace all that word and all that it contains to be orthodox. Orthodox according to who? Let me tell you something, the Bible doesn't use the term. God does not describe himself. He does not box himself up in man-made terms. We have allowed it, he has not done it. If it was so important, he would say, I am Trinity, and he would explain it that way. But men have said the Holy Spirit cannot teach others. The Holy Spirit cannot affect the law that is written on the mind and hearts of believer. So we have to step in and help them understand the poor, uneducated masses that the Holy Spirit can't reach. Let our ivory tower professors dictate how you read and understand the word of God. You've got to have a, a PhD to get uh, what Christianity is. Let me tell you something. We had someone right in this room stand here, a brother in Christ, look at me in front of an audience and say, you are a heretic and you are going to hell. Why? Because I said, I don't believe in the word and many of the concepts of the Trinity. And I am going to hell. It's unbelievable what men have done in the Christian church. Before we open up the phone lines, let, let me just tell you, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. Let me just throw out some last things that God has not told us to use, but we use as if God has said them. Did you know that these aren't found in the Bible? Altar call, senior pastor, associate pastor. That's no different than stake president. Chaplain, reverend. Where the, oh, where the hell did reverend come from? Reverend for a man? We're not supposed to call men father. And people are allowing themselves to be called reverend. It's unbelievable. Building fund, church board, worship leaders, sinner's prayer, pulpit, nave, Sunday school, memberships, voting rights, parsonage, pastors, pastor housing, sabbaticals, men's group, small group, women's group, moderation in all things. God works in mysterious ways. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I never said it would be easy. I just said it would be worth it. God helps those who help themselves. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Once saved, always saved. Shout to the Lord, pastor's vacation, rapture, hallelujah. Not in the Bible, that's right, hallelujah. A man-made construct. Hallelujah and Jah are. Hallelujah is us putting them together. All from men. Do you know that these top songs in Christianity, not one of the phrases are found in the Bible? Our God is an awesome God. Do you know awesome's not in the Bible? God of wonders. God of wonders beyond our galaxy. How is that any different than Smith's Kolob? What do you mean God of wonders beyond our galaxy? How do we know he's beyond our galaxy? How do we know he doesn't live on Mars? Who do you think you are? We're adding up, we come up with our own stuff. Healing rain, nope, man. Is it you? Not in the Bible. We all fall down, not in the Bible. It is in Ring Around the Rosie, but it's not in, in the Bible. And then my favorite, it's, my favorite is like, God, I'm here, I've been able to pencil you in. Here I am to worship. Here I am, I me, man, to worship you, God. Are you ready for this? Oh, God, man. If we're gonna criticize other faiths for reaching outside the Bible and constructing man-made tenets, 
and we're gonna allow those influences to come into our own church, we are nothing but hypocrites. We have a beam sticking out of our own eye and they have but a splinter. So what are we gonna do? Is there something we have altogether missed as Bible believers in the approach to the Bible and what it says? I think there is, we'll cover it next week. While the operators are clearing whatever calls there aren't, uh, <laughs> that mirror in front of the face is tough, I know. I, I see myself in it all the time. The LDS Church has published new essays on the book of Abraham. You've probably read about it. Deseret News. It is saying that there's a potential that the way Joseph Smith translated the book of Abraham could have, not have, could have been not from actual manuscript, but through revelation. This is helping them uh, to be able to answer the facsimile errors and how any of the manuscript proof they have for the book of Abraham, scholars have proven it's just a funeral text and that Smith was making the thing up. So the LDS now are stepping back and saying it's possible he received revelation when he created the book of Abraham and he was inspired by the manuscript evidence that was in front of him. So uh, you have to read it. It's available on their new website that they're going through and they're really just doing uh, revisionist history on all the difficult stuff. Again, I will say this, I believe this completely. It's all in preparation for a political move. If it's not 2016 with uh, an LDS candidate, it will be in 2020. It's coming and it's all in preparation to clean up their act so that people will accept them politically and then vote a Latter-day Saint into office. From a frothing Funday in, uh, evangelical, uh, he says, writes, are you still lying about the Bible to people, Sean? Or have you figured out how the sun measures time yet? Still waiting for you to be a man and admit that you were wrong. This is regarding a, my comment that I'm not sure I believe that day means 24 hour period in Genesis chapter one and in other places. We know in other places it doesn't mean a 24 hour period. We know the Hebrew word yom, even when it's associated with numbers, sometimes does not mean a 24 hour period. And so, uh, and, and we know that God did not create the sun and the, and, and the stars and the moon until the fourth day. And yet in the first day, God said, let there be lights. And his argument is, if there's no sun, we still can have measurement of time. And he says, because I'm not suggesting that, I'm lying to the people. I got a great book you need to consider. It's fantastic if you can get a hold of it. It's called, Were There Dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? Were There Dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? It'll blow your mind at how rabid the fundy, fundamental evangelicals are on the topics like this that you must believe it's a 24 hour day period, six periods, the seventh is still going on. That doesn't have a 24 hour, but the first six days were 24 hour periods. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. They literally push it that far. And, and so uh, books like that will help you understand the comment. I am not lying to anybody. I could be wrong. I could always be wrong, but uh, nevertheless, that is uh, the, his problem with me. I have a very, very sad email. Uh, it's Dear Sean and Aletheia Ministries. I am sad to write this letter, but I have lost my faith in the last few months. I've been a solid believer for 16 years. I was an atheist before I grew up LDS. I began examining things about Christianity and it's a 
three, four page, three page letter of all the things that she has been looking at in Christianity that her pastors and leadership have been promising her are true and they're not. And you know, we're gonna have more of this if we don't wise up and just speak rationally to believers. God is rational. Yes, he's supernatural, but he's rational and he gives us reasonable approaches to understand him and know him. And science ultimately supports God. Ultimately, it will. And all of these other things, but when we become irrational and when we become dogmatic and we say things like, listen, it had to be 24 hours or you're not a Christian, we're in trouble. You know, we're in trouble just like the LDS because of hyperbole because we have allowed ourselves to use hyperbole to explain the gospel and the truth of the Bible rather than step back and just use reasonable truths. There's a book called 23 Minutes in Hell. It's on the bestsellers list. What? 23 Minutes in Hell? How do we know? How come he was the one who gets to tell us what hell was like 23 minutes in it? And Jesus didn't. The Bible doesn't. I'm sorry, it goes on and on and on. It's the culture. Heaven is for real. Really, by a, a kid who died and supposedly went to heaven. Heaven is for real, written by his pastor dad. We wanna believe this stuff. Let's read the Bible and read what it says. We don't need the extra books. We don't need to have the churches bring in sideshows to fill the seats so that we can then feel like, wow, our faith is justified. We don't need the Shroud of Turin. We have the Bible and we walk not by sight, not by knowledge, we walk by faith. And when we don't have answers to things, we say, I don't have an answer on that, let me seek it out, I think I can find one. But when we make them up, when we use unscientific science, when we use miracles that are phony, sideshow exhibits, King James onlyists that insist that if you don't read the King James, you're not a Christian too, we have become so weak that we have to resort to this stuff. And so we get emails like this, 16 years, she's fed the fodder from the pulpit from people who are trying to sell the religion and make it salacious and fantastic. You know, Jesus was fantastic. Let's preach him, get back to that. Another email. Uh, this is from Christian. He's telling me I need to become a Catholic. <laughs> He ends it with sleep on it. <laughs> he goes and gives me all the reasons about how the church, Roman Catholic Church, God calls you to jump on board an unsinkable ferry and there's only one of them. It's the Catholic Church. You should become a Catholic for joy you will find to your soul. Suffering awaits you. We are all called to be witnesses and not lazy non-doers. I'm sure your work on TV and a lot has done a lot but maybe you are wasting time since the truth you carry is not in its fullness. Everybody has its fullness, don't they? Catholics have their fullness. Mormons have the fullness of the gospel. Muslims have their fullness. Muhammad brought that he was the last prophet with the last testament. Every single denom has their fullness. The fullness is in God. The fullness is in Christ. It's not in man. It's not in me. I'm an idiot. I make up stuff. I don't make it up on purpose. I say stuff that's not correct. You don't follow me. You don't listen and follow your pastor every word and don't challenge it. You go to the word, you go to the spirit, and you are subjectively going to answer to God when you die. You cannot die and go to God and say, 
Well, my pastor said, the Board of Elders suggested, you know, uh, John Calvin said, so what? God seeks now and still does those who want him to know him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. We have Matt in Taylorsville. I'm going to get to him in just a second. Um, uh, well, I'll get to him now because this email is good. Matt, what's up? Hey, is this Sean? It is. Uh, all right. Hey, Sean, uh, first of all, I'm, uh, I am a Mormon, and I watched your show for a while now, and I read your book, Born Again, or I was a Born Again Mormon, and I really enjoyed it. But uh, the question I had for you is your, your show today was about all those combinations, and I thought the show was awesome. But my question is, is now I know that you don't think that the Latter-day Saint is a Christian denomination, but everybody that runs for a political office claims some sort of denomination. Now, the Latter-day Saint, yeah, they may have different views on things, and you may think they're brainwashed, but as far as... Uh, a candidate, don't you? When do you think that their moral, well, their, I guess, a card-carrying member, they're answering, they're supposed to be answering these questions. Are you honest with your dealings with your fellow man? So wouldn't that be a good candidate to have if they did run for office? Okay, Matt, I, I really appreciate your call because it's a really good question, and I want you to understand that my uh, reticence of an LDS candidate is not due to their. Uh, you know, their, their moral stance and the way that they are taught to live. Um, I, I personally don't believe that uh, moral reform in, in the world is going to do anything. I think we're headed for decay. It's inevitable. And I think we preach Jesus. But that's beside the point. My problem with the Latter-day Saint running is twofold. One, since the beginning of the church, Smith has been, uh, Smith preached and the leaders have sought for a theocracy. It's part of the original foundation of the church. The second problem, which I have greatly, is that while a Latter-day Saint uh, could be a good leader, a Latter-day Saint um, pledges in the temple to give all that he has and all that he will have to the building up of the Mormon church, and that he is beholden to the LDS prophet. And so my problem is that if a Latter-day Saint becomes a, uh, the, uh, the, the most powerful leader in the nation, Mormonism uh, kind of tacitly is ruling too. The final thing, Matt, and then I'll let you uh, follow it up, is that when a Mormon president is elected, Mormonism wins. And having come out of Mormonism, I can see how they will use this and turn this into the PR machine. And you have people in Russia with knocks on the door and the missionaries showing a, a picture of the president of America and saying, do you know who this is? Well, he goes to our church. And I know that's, that's, that's hyperbole, but I'm just using that as an example. So those are my three problems, Matt. Yeah. Well, I can see how that means as a, as a Mormon. I mean, that's, you know. I could see your point. I mean, you would, I could see your point. Yeah, but, it, that's my problem. I mean, do you disagree? I mean, does that? Well, I disagree in the sense that uh, I don't believe in that politicians are, are right anyway. I think they do what they can to get elect, elected. But I don't think that a politician that's a Mormon 
if he did become, he's, he may, I mean, he's, men are fallible, right? I mean, men are uh, an enemy to God. I don't know if this is a Mormon scripture or a Christian scripture, but uh, the natural man is an enemy to God and, and, and will be forever. So, yeah, he may pledge that, but honestly, who keeps to their pledges? <laughs> nobody. Nobody keeps. Nobody keeps the temple. All the, nobody keeps a double governance. So then we have nobody a major. Does. Then we have a major problem. We have a major problem. Then we have a guy who is willing to lie to God. He's willing to lie to God. He makes the pledge, but he doesn't keep it. Or he's oh. willing to lie to the American public, and he keeps his covenants. Either way, it's a bad choice. Well, men are fallible. I mean, you can't say. I mean, just like you talk all the time, you're always saying how, you know, you're a sinner and all this stuff. I mean. That's all I'm saying is is men, but at least with a, a Latter-day Saint, I mean, you know, I mean, I would think you would know what you're getting. You're getting someone that's, a, I mean, I guess this is a conservative okay. approach and from Utah, you know, I mean, you always want your more conservative thing, but I now, honestly think that the Mormon, I mean, you kind of know what you're getting with the Mormon. You know you, you got, oh gosh. <laughs> hey, Matt, I got to ask you one thing. We got to go to another call, but the question, oh, don't let me lose it. Oh, oh, I had it. Hello? Uh, I'm still here, Matt. Uh, oh. you, um, let me ask you this. Here's the question. What would you think about, uh, you know, uh, fundamentalist uh, Islamic jihadists are very clean living people. They don't believe in drinking, getting drunk, womanizing. They live very clean lives. What would you think if one of them ran? Now, I'm, I'm not very politically um, amazing. It's convenient. The, the jihadists, are those the ones that are crazy and uh, they blow up themselves in the name of, for like the virgins and stuff? Or are they, are they just like the Muslims that... Yeah, they're the, they're the blow-up guys. Those are the blow-up guys? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, obviously, I mean, that, I wouldn't vote for him. Yeah, so you have a line. My point in bringing him up at that extreme is you have a line. You would say, this does not make sense to me. With what exactly. I do and where I come from, my line says it makes no sense to have a, a Latter-day Saint at all, no matter how qualified or good they appear. Matt, we got another call. Thanks so much for calling and watching. Okay. Okay, see you later. Bye. We're going to Matt in uh, Michigan. It's the night of Matt's. Matt in Michigan. Yeah. Is it Sean? It is. Hey, Sean. I uh, just wanted to call in and tell you I love the program tonight, and it's just kind of weird how us as the body of Messiah parallel ancient Israel so closely because this teaching tonight reminds me of the book of the judge. The people did was what was right in their oh, own nice. mind when there was no earthly king present. Wow. And they told Samuel, make us a king to go before the nations. And, you know, you look at it, we have the benefit of the inner dwelling of our Messiah, the spirit of the king, but we're just not doing what he asked us to do <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean so it's it's it just all ties in and it's uh i really love the show tonight no real questions just wanted to throw that out at you because it's so important to what we got going on with all these different denominations thanks my brother love you hey you too have a good one going to robert in peachtree city georgia robert you're on heart of the matter robert line three Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. You got to turn your uh, computer down. Yeah, I just put it on, I'm watching on my phone, sitting here in the living room. <laughs> so, 
He's um, from Georgia. Quick question that I had for you. I've, I've been watching for a long time, and uh, one of the things I went through, um, I kind of was doing my own study and really, in all honesty, searching for truth, and I was always tripped up on this idea of everybody claimed to have some kind of authority or some or the, the necessity for unity in the body. And I was just, you know, kind of curious as to what your solution or what your answer to that would be with kind of the, and I don't mean anti in a, in a terrible way, but just not being denominational. Like how do we maintain unity as a body? And, you know, do, it, do you think there is any such thing in terms of a church that has that kind of uh, authority? You know what I mean? I don't think that, I, you know what? Uh, we have one more call we gotta take, Robert, but I'm gonna answer your specific question next week, I promise. All right, sounds good, I appreciate it. Okay, thanks for watching. You bet. Bye-bye, we have Hayden in Melbourne, Australia. Hayden, you're the last call, we've got about two minutes. Oh, cool, man, I'll be quick. Um, yeah, I just, um, I've, watched, I've been watching your shows on faith healing and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, and I've been going to a church, and I really like the church, but um, in, in the services, the, the guys are always pushing, you know, God wants to heal us, um, like, physically, and, you know, if we, you, if we have ailments, come to the front, and, and we'll heal, and he's always giving testimonies that he's done all these miracles and stuff, and I, I really cringe and, uh, at that, and I'm just wondering, um, I haven't seen a miracle like, in, in, like, like what he's talking about, and I kind of, I'm really, like, cynical a bit, a bit about it, but I love... I, I do believe that God can do things, but I've worked with disabled people and it's kind of, you know, and I always want to pray for them, but I kind of think, you know, I, I don't really know what to do about it and and what to think um, about all that. I'm just wondering what you can suggest, you know, should we be praying for these people that are in wheelchairs and, um, you know, have, how does God work like today with healings and stuff like that? All right, um, really quickly, and uh, we're out of time, but let me just say this. I am... I, I agree with you completely. God can heal blind, deaf, dumb, dead. Just like that. No problem. He can do it. Yeah. Uh, but I do believe, biblically, the reason Jesus contextually healed and the apostles healed was because they had no written word. They had no proof that he was mm. the son of God. He had to perform the miracles for them to, because it was prophesied that he would cause the dumb to speak, the blind to see, and, and, and Isaiah and other places. And so he performed those fulfilling prophecy. When we take that model and try to apply it today, I think we are committing uh, uh, speaking God's name in vain. I think that we are breaking. Again. I think that that's the commandment we're breaking. Yeah, I guess the only question is, you know, I, when I work with these disabled people, like they just really can't comprehend much. And like, how do they, I just wonder, how do they, how can they know the Lord? And um, that's pretty much where I'm at. I just kind of don't know how it works for them. Oh, um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a tough one. It is a tough one, my brother. We're out of time. Thanks so much for watching. We'll try to cover that later. Okay, thanks, man. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're out of time. Listen. I know I'm, uh, I'm on fire tonight with the subject, be, uh, but just let me say this. Uh, the body of Christ, the members of the body of Christ are the most beautiful, sincere, humble, loving people on the, on the face of this earth. And we meet them, we have the chance to meet them sometimes. And when I meet them, I am humbled and broken at their love for the Lord and their authenticity before him. 
And when you meet them, they are authentic. They do not have the trappings of man. They have the trappings of love and service and kindness, the fruit of the spirit, which has nothing to do with these trappings. I know I'm strong on it. Doesn't mean that the body isn't alive and well and strong, but, it, but it, we do have a lot of stuff we can work on. And that's the point of the show tonight. We will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake. A storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the 